Welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Starting a company allows you to be back in control. The weekly show that brings together military spouse and veteran founders who are doing remarkable things in the business world. I can't imagine there's anything out there stronger than the bond that military and veteran entrepreneurs have. We'll hear their story, the story of their business, and lessons learned. Joy can override the worries and depression. Here are your hosts, Carmen Nazario and Josh Carter. Welcome, everybody. It is the uh, Veteran Founder Podcast. It is Friday. It's 1 o'clock p.m. on the West Coast. Uh, I am your host, Josh Carter. Our co-host, Carmen Nazario, is off this week. Uh, we look forward to having her next week. If you are unfamiliar with this show, uh, welcome, first and foremost. But every week, we sit down and we talk to veterans and military spouse founders that are doing remarkable things in the business world. We talk to them about their story, their mil- time in the military, and then we speak a little bit about their business and things that they They've learned, and this week I am excited because we have an, one. We have an in-studio guest. The other is that um, they are a Patriot Bootcamp alum. We we took them through Denver Patriot Bootcamp last year, and they're a very unique business. It's uh, a crickets, and I'm going to let uh, James talk a little bit about it. About, but uh, welcome, James uh, Roland from Cow- Cowboy Cricket Farms. Thank you so much for having me here. We're uh, pretty excited to be in Portland. This is our first time actually coming here and not just stopping at the airport. Yeah, and I love that we uh, we like cleared out the clouds for you. It's it's a perfect summer day for you guys. I appreciate it. And I'm still wearing my hoodie because uh, you know Portland summer means it's like mid seventies, not anything beyond that, so. <laughs> and some wind. Uh, but welcome. Uh, so excited that you guys are here and uh, just excited that uh, to hear, you, first of all, your story, your background. I want my listeners to learn all there is to know about Jim. And then also, I'm, I'm really curious about how you guys got into crickets. Like that just seems such an ancillary business to get into. Uh, but yeah, let's talk a little bit about your background, your military background. What, first of all, what branch did you serve in? I've, I'm actually my second one. So uh, wow. my wife and I met while we were in the Coast Guard. Okay. She was a gunner's mate, active duty. I was a machinist, uh, technician reserve. Nice. And so I just kind of followed her around as she got restationed. I just told yeah. guys, peace, I'm, I'm going somewhere else. <laughs> uh, it was pretty easy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we got out, we had a couple businesses, and then I, I kind of got the itch again. And so I was going to go active duty under 18X contract into the Army. Yeah. Um, and for people who aren't familiar, that's a SF recruit, which means that you're probably not going to do anything, and then they're going to put you onto something else after sure. you fail. But uh, <laughs> I couldn't get past my security clearance because really? um, we had lost our previous business and gone through a bankruptcy, and it uh, turns out that's a no-no. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, that's uh, interesting. Financial uh, hardship is a... Is a Disqualifier in in that uh, realm, huh? It is. I yeah. didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah, so I couldn't get my clearance back. Okay. Um, I do have it back now, but yeah. I ended up going to National Guard, and uh, basically, I just wanted whatever was going to be the longest school that didn't require a security clearance, mm-hmm. so we get our money back, right? Sure. And uh, turns out that was combat medic, so I went in as a sixty-eight whiskey. Um, and by the time I got out, I was just about to hit sergeant because they were able to fast track me since I was already an NCO in the Coast Guard. Um, and now I'm an officer candidate within that. So I'm back down to being a nothing person. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that the nice thing? And we were talking about this last week. The nice thing about the military is it's really easy to identify those. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but it's sort of your sort of comp- your sort of acceptance of that is just sort of in line with the path that you take. So it's uh, that's fascinating. So why officer candidate school? Uh, 
you know, they need pilots, and yeah. I've flown in helicopters a lot, but I've never flown a helicopter. Oh, okay. And I figured, uh, you know, I, I'd love to do that, but it's really expensive. And if they're going to pay me to yeah. go fly helicopters Absolutely. instead of pay to do it, then uh, I, I'm that's a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> no, if anybody's going to pay for training, like, go for it. Yeah. So, so you're in now. How many years have you been in total for your entire military service? I guess I got about 10 years of September. 10 years now. That's that's great. And did when you went into thinking about joining the military, what was what did you want to get out of it? Yeah, you know, I just wanted to go somewhere new, mm-hmm. and uh, I had a guaranteed unit when I was going into the Coast Guard is with a maritime safety and security team, same mm-hmm. unit that I met my wife at. And so it was part of the uh, DOG or Deployable Operations Group. It's kind of like the uh, special operations side of the Coast Guard. So you have the MSST, the MSRT, and then uh, TACLET, couple other things that go and do all the high-speed stuff. And I thought, man, this is going to be awesome. I uh, got there, had a really good time, but, you know, we got restationed um, to uh, to Michigan, and that was less fun. And so <laughs> I, I got out because I got tired of watching all the active duty guys just play yeah. video games, um, which was understandable. It was their weekend, you know. Yeah. They, they wanted to relax. but That's hilarious. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I just went into the military because I come from a military family, sure. and it made sense to me. I wanted to go do something else, and I did not want to go to college. Yeah. That's interesting. A lot of people, they go in because they want to go get college money to get out. Like I did that. I, did, right. I went in and got college money. But, uh, but that's fascinating. And now you are in Montana. Yes. Beautiful <laughs> Montana. Beautiful Montana. And we were talking earlier that you said that I overheard you said the whole, the whole state has a million people. Correct. We we just broke a million, million. Like, a couple years ago. So yeah, we're we're over a million people You're active, now. actively growing there in Montana. Yes. <laughs> so you you talked a little bit about uh, businesses you had created before. What was the first business idea that you guys had that was sort of this tangible moment of epiphany that you were like, oh, we're going to do this. This is the problem we're going to solve. Uh, something like just the first business yeah. at all. Yep. Uh, well, I started my first business when I was 14 in high school. Okay. I did web design and built custom computers. Nice. And so I just went kind of door to door to all these yeah. businesses around and until someone would give me $30 a month to build a website. That's awesome. Which now that I look back on it, I was way <laughs> underselling myself. But um, Especially back then, as complicated as websites were, right? Yeah, yeah, because I actually had to like, you know, code it yeah. and everything. And Couldn't I, just go to Wix, Wix or Squarespace and just kind of piece these things together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was ridiculous. It, yeah. was, it was a really bad idea, but that's okay. It got good sales experience. The first thing that my wife and I did together, though, uh, we had a wristwatch company that was more of a hobby. We never sure. did make any money off of that. Yeah. Um, and then we had our family fun center in Michigan. When she got out, we had our first daughter. So uh, my wife got out of the military and we started this family fun center. We had go-karts, batting cages, arcade, uh, mini golf. It was really cool for the first two years sure. until Detroit went bankrupt. Oh no. And that's where all of our customers came from was Detroit Ann yeah. Arbor. And, uh, you know, so that means they didn't come up and, uh, we went bankrupt too. So we lost both houses. Oh, we lost no. the business, the business property, the oh, car. Uh, we just, we lost everything. That's insane. Uh, not to mention just our credit. Sure. And so that's made this new business kind of difficult because we started it just two years out of the bankruptcy. That's crazy. Um, yeah. And so, you know, no lenders wanted to talk yeah, to yeah. us. Not, no one would give us any money. Sure. So we've had to really, truly bootstrap everything. What did you learn from that, though? What did you learn from that failure of, you know, fi- being in a market that was, uh, you know, pretty well-established market 
And then something that you guys didn't foresee or wasn't even in your control, ultimately having a profound impact on your business. What did you learn from that out of that failure? You know, stuff just happens and sometimes you cannot prevent it. Mm -hmm. And so what we do is we just are always looking for the next thing. We're always looking for some way to improve and some way to buffer our odds. Sure. Um, I mean, really, that's that's the biggest thing. You can't control everything that goes on. And some of the greatest entrepreneurs ever have, have lost everything multiple times. Yep. And a lot of times they had no say in that happening. You know, so just just do what you can. <laughs> I like that. Do, do what you can. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, it, it is one of those things where, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of their, there's these variables that you try to mitigate as a uh, as an entrepreneur. To mitigate your risk, the issue the issue is being an entrepreneur on its face is a very is the most risky thing you can do in your life. A- aside from you know going in the military and going in a combat zone, this thing that you're doing to grow a business is wildly risky, and uh, and so I applaud you for taking that risk multiple times. So w- now we've failed in business one. Was there a business after? That one? There was. So uh, after we lost that, well, we, we were currently losing the business. We were trying sure. to hold by. And I guess that was the other thing that we learned is just if you're going to fail, do it. You know, <laughs> yeah. they, they always talk about fail fast. It's like, mm-hmm. well, I don't think you should aim to fail, but definitely know where your exit route is. Sure. And we took way too long to get out of that business. Uh, we probably, if we had declared bankruptcy six, nine, 12 months before that, when we knew it was going downhill, uh, we would have had a, a much better time. We wouldn't have thrown so much money away. Sure. Um, you know, we didn't realize the protections that are out there. And so anyways, we, we went to California and I had a nice camera set up from just a hobby of mine. And I went on this uh, website called Thumbtack and started, you know, plugging away and seeing, hey, can maybe I can do professional photography. Mm-hmm. I, I had a really good portfolio of just stuff I like doing. And Turns out I could actually build a business. So by the time that, what, nine months later, from when I started that to the time that uh, we moved to Montana, I was getting about $3,000 a month. Wow. In, that's you not, know, that's it, good. Yeah, it's not too bad, yeah. especially for you know, a part-time gig. Hobby. Hobby, Hobby type thing, right? Yeah. So uh, you know, it's a service industry, so it's mm-hmm. not really scalable. But I mean, it took me, what, two days to get, become profitable at it because yeah. I already had everything. Yeah. Uh, so you know, I had to pay for my gas, basically. I always say a business is a hypothesis until someone pays you for it. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Or, or a hobby. Yeah, yeah, and and so you know we we had nothing to lose, right? We yeah. were all the way at the bottom. Uh, we had we had literally nothing else they could take from <laughs> us. Uh, so uh, we just tried yeah. and and just hustled our asses off until we were able to pay for food for our kids. And and when you're hungry, literally hungry, you will find a way to sell stuff. Yeah. Oh, I love that, and it's it's almost by necessity. But the fact that you you knew what you were good at. You identify that there's a need for it. You went out there and you found people to pay you for it. Those are all the steps that entrepreneurs fail to, to recognize early on. Right. Uh, and then you're able to iterate from there. Uh, so that's awesome. Did you have like a specialty uh, within photography that you were really good at? Was it uh, concert photography or was it, you know, portraits? Or I was really, really good at the photography that they paid me for. 
<laughs> so I, everything. Yeah, that, that's that's <laughs> definitely where my specialty yeah, lied yeah. was was the paid stuff. Yeah, um, the free stuff I never really was very good at. Sure. Yeah. No, I mean if you're not paying for it, <laughs> that's a good yeah. that's a good barometer. Yeah. Uh, I, so so the photography stuff, crickets. How did that come about? How what was that idea around wanting to do crickets? That was very much Kathy's idea. Um, we are not entomologists. We are not scientists. Sure. Uh, actually, we don't even have our degrees finished. Maybe one day. Yeah. The uh, the army says I can't reach captain until I've got that. So yeah. You know, we'll we'll see. But uh, yeah, our you know our background is not in agriculture entomology. Uh, but Montana State University, which is where we we're going at the time, has something called the Bug Buffet every year. And it is super fun. Uh, we've been working on increasing the numbers that go to it, but mm -hmm. it's free and open to the public. Uh, it all culminates in this free luncheon on Friday, which is about four hours long, and it's exactly what it sounds like. There's all kinds of edible insect-based food products, and people can come and just enjoy it. It's awesome. But during the rest of the week, they have guest speakers who come in. And one of them was a guy named Ian Toes. He's the director of Bugs on the Menu, which is a documentary out of Canada. And uh, he was talking to my wife's sustainable foods class. And she was, uh, she, she came back to me and said, man, this is the, the future food. We're all going to be doing this. We have to accept it, you know, but, but people aren't seeing it yet. Mm -hmm. When you get into this, and I said, you're crazy. This is asinine. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, look, if you're going to Seer school or if you live in Thailand, right, that's why you eat bugs. No, no one in the U S is doing this. <laughs> yeah. If you're in buds then uh, yeah, you're, you're right? eating something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, otherwise we're not doing this for yeah. fun. Yeah. And uh, she said, no, just look into it. I said, fine. She's always bringing me these crazy ideas. So I thought an hour later, I'm going to have this solution. It's, it's illegal or something. I don't know. For some reason, I just can't <laughs> yeah. do this. Right. Um, and instead, six months later, I finished my sustain, my feasibility study and it's, it was a great business idea. What I found were no actual flaws, but I found two problems and you know, problems. I love problems because that's just a business way to happen. That's right. That's all the business is, is you're solving a problem. That's right. And you're making life better. Mm -hmm. So we found out one, uh, you know, this is no big surprise, but people have an issue with it mentally, mm -hmm. right? It's just that, that, uh, disgust factor. That's okay. We've done this with raw fish, with sushi and sashimi in the 70s. Mm -hmm. Before 1971, no one in North America could go buy sushi. Hmm. Okay? Didn't exist. Wait, that's... What? Yeah. The, the first place started in Canada. And, and it was, you know, all these guys coming over because of the... Uh, the Japanese car market, yeah. and they were doing business over there and coming back, and there was a chef who was from Japan and was familiar with it. Yeah. So he started people off with all vegetables. Okay. And then he worked in cooked fish, and then he worked in raw fish. He phased them into it. And now you can go to any grocery store in the yep. entire country. I mean, downtown Bozeman, Montana, right? The least raw fishy place you could think of. Most have, landlocked place. Right? We have <laughs> yeah. three fantastic sushi That's bars. That's incredible. So... Yeah. You know, and we've done that with many other kinds of food. So we know how to change people's uh, mental image of a food product. Mm -hmm. The second one is, and this is what we really do, the technical infrastructure does not exist yet. Hmm. So no one knows how to do this commercially on scale in a safe, effective manner and how to monitor it. The technology doesn't exist. So sure. that's what we do. We create algorithms for how these insects grow, under what conditions, what changes, how quickly you can grow them under different temperatures and humidities and gas structures. Mm -hmm. And then we create automation systems that helps to allow other people to do that with less of a learning curve. 
Sure. Because, you know, unlike chickens, I can go find a ninth generation chicken farmer. Right. There's no ninth generation cricket farmers, like, running to my door going, hey, I know how to do this already. It'll be your great, 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 and, you know, grandson, granddaughter out there doing it. Right. Right. That's awesome. So, uh, you know, we create that. We create the uh, processing facilities, how to actually dehydrate and process the crickets in not just the most effective manner, but also the most uh, nutritionally efficient manner. And so we create, we, we keep a lot more nutrition in the insects than our competitors do. And we do have competitors. A lot of people don't believe it, that it's not just us. Um, no, it's fascinating because we were talking about this earlier in the show. There's a company here in Portland that was, uh, that was um, I think they're gone now, but they were a, you know, sort of a cricket farm. Yep. But they, they did it in a more broad scope, whereas you guys are very sort of, you guys have a variance of things and also have this great model that you're, you're talking about. Um, they they kind of stuck at this one model, but it's it's fascinating to me that we're starting to turn this corner of it being less taboo, and and people really understanding the difference between going to you know a dairy farm or going to a slaughterhouse or going to a chicken farm and seeing just how much of a stress it puts on our planet versus something like crickets that are far more sustainable and have way more use cases than than other other uses, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's one of our big three selling factors right. is the environmental sustainability. Compared to beef, we use 2,060 times less water per pound, produce 80 times less methane, use less than 1% of the comparable land mass, use 14 times less feed, but we get the same amount of protein, twice the amount of iron, and I mean, we actually have omega-3 EPA, DHA in there, and it's a lot higher. We're, we're getting closer and closer to that of salmon with our research. That's fascinating. And we work under a lot of government grants, and mm-hmm. so, you know, we've been able to keep our expenses pretty limited. Uh, you know, thank you, taxpayers. And <laughs> which is another reason yeah. why people should eat crickets. They're paying for them already. <laughs> I mean, fun. really. You no, know, it's true. It's absolutely true. And what I love about this is that you guys identified this. You did your homework. You, you took it. You took an approach to this was... Which was, this is a, there are problems that exist within this, and we're going to find ways to plug in our solution to solve these problems. And that's, that's I think, uh, a, a, great, a great way to look at it. We've been talking to James uh, Roland of Cowboy Cricket Farms. We're going to take a quick break. Cool. Uh, so today's episode of the Veterans uh, Veteran Startups uh, Founder Podcast is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. Publicize has broken down PR into a modular setup, keeping quality high and simply charging fees for targeted PR you require. Check them out at publicize.co and tell them Carmen and Josh sent you. So we're back with uh, James Rowland of Cowboy Cricket Farms. We've been talking about sort of the problem that exists with crickets and getting people just used to eating something that has eyes and is looking back at it at them. Right? Did right. I get that right? Yeah, I mean that, that's pretty good. <laughs> uh, you know, most people aren't eating whole chicken heads, but I'm sure that you know some people do, and and those stare back at you. But they do. I, I go to uh, our local Asian market. And yeah. I get me a duck, and it's got the head on and everything, but it's still wildly delicious. Right. Uh, so I, I'm really <laughs> curious. <laughs> I, I have not tried. I'll be honest. I have not tried crickets uh, before. It's one of those things. Like uh, same thing. Like it's one of those things that I have that ick factor. But uh, but I'm really curious, how do you get the – when you're approaching it to a new person, how do you break that barrier down? How do you approach it to them so that it's an accessible food source for them? 
Well, first off, I would like you to know I'm gonna crinkle this. Yeah, I got a bag of these. I'm sure you have a whole so uh, <laughs> metric ton of them in your bag. Yeah. So the uh, the other thing we have though here, and this was Kathy's idea as well. This is all Kathy's idea. I would like you to know <laughs> I'm just a pretty face out here that goes to talk to people, and I, I, I facilitate, it. I execute, but she actually comes up with most of this stuff. Yeah. And uh, so we've got our chocolate chirp cookies here. Uh, and it is a high-protein uh, post-workout recovery cookie, we call it, but really it's just a delicious chocolate chip cookie nice. that has 10 grams of protein, 10% of your daily value iron, and about 30 crickets worth of powder in it. Come on. So the reason why we made this wasn't actually as a sellable product originally. It's just if you give someone a whole roasted cricket, they're probably not going to eat it. Right. If you give them the powder, they really don't know what to do with it. But sure. if you give them a delicious chocolate chip cookie, suddenly it all makes sense. Right. So, it's accessible. Exactly. Yeah. Everyone likes chocolate chip cookies. And you're, so do, you're doing exactly what the sushi model was, was give them vegetables first, then give them cooked fish, and right. then raw fish. So this is the vegetable piece. This is our vegetable Step piece. One. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See, eat, eat your vegetables, kid. That's okay. <laughs> we just call them cookies. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So we've got these guys, and, you know, it's if you open it up, it's just a... Uh, here. Nice. It's just a... It looks Chocolate like a cookie. cookie. Yeah. So those that are uh, not familiar with what a cookie looks like, it's roundish <laughs> in shape, and it has these various. I'm gonna I'm gonna break off a little piece here, and uh, you're gonna explain what I'm eating while I eat this. Sure. So um, first off, you're not gonna notice anything out of the ordinary. Uh, if there's anything kind of chewy in there, that's either a chocolate chip or there's some flax that's in here as well. Uh, you you could not tell the difference between this and one without cricket powder in it. Holy shit, my kids would eat that. Yeah. No, no kidding. They're like, great. The, those are really good. Thank and, you. And um, fascinating that... So tell me a bit more. No dairy. Uh, I, no, there, there is. There's dairy? Okay. Yep. Uh, it's, it is a chocolate chip cookie. It's a so, flat-out cho- chocolate chip cookie. The difference sugar, is just has, has that butter. powder in it. Right. right. Got it. So this is our own recipe, That's you know. Awesome. Uh, and so we think it's just one of the best chocolate chip Climate. cookies you can get anyways. Please, please. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's just a, a regular cookie, and yeah. we have a lot of people that will go and sample this out, and we have our signs everywhere, and I mean, we make it blatant, right? Our name is Cowboy Cricket Farms. This isn't right. like a joke name, uh, and people eat it and go, wow, that's a really good cookie. Mm-hmm. I don't get to what's special. You go like, well, you didn't read the sign, did you? And suddenly, <laughs> once they find out what it is, they're disgusted. Go, oh, I actually didn't like it. It's like, really? How did you Come not on. like it? Right. You know. Now other people are amazed. They go, wow, this is great. Actually, yeah. I, I never would have tried this, but I'm glad I did. Yeah. So you know, it's interesting to see the responses we get. But once they get used to eating the cookies, there's usually two ways that they go. Either they want the powder. Yep. And because, you know, these things retail for $4 a piece, and I think they're worth it. A lot of people do. But at the same time, if you want to make banana bread or pasta or just, you know, salad dressing or protein shakes, whatever, right. just use the powder. Yeah. Uh, so they'll go that route. Or they go for the whole dehydrated crickets or whole roasted crickets. Yeah. We have the plain ones here. I've also got some smoky jumpers if you want to try those. And uh, these ones will stare back at you. Yeah. And unlike a lot of our competitors that uh, do high temperature roasting, you know, so 400 degrees for like 20 minutes, we do 170 degrees for six hours. So we dehydrate them. We don't actually like roast them. Right, right. Um, what does that, that do with the flavor? Does it do anything to change the flavor when you're changing the temperature? 
It does. You're going to yeah. get a much more natural flavor out of them. Okay. So the raw ones taste similar to the dehydrated ones, uh, which means you're just getting more flavor. Sure. Now, they're not, it's not like you're going to bite into it and go, wow, this is a rush of flavor. They're, they're pretty bland. They mix well with just about anything. Mm-hmm. And that's why you can flavor them easily, too. They're great for like croutons and soups and salads because of that. Uh, and then what about the uh, nutritional aspect? Does it change that's, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. It's nutritional. I'm choked up with this great cookie. <laughs> does it um, does it change like how much protein is it in it versus the 400 degree versus the way you guys do it? Does it change its element? Is basically what I'm trying to get at. Yes. So uh, there's two things that we have to factor into the temperature. Uh, one of them is uh-huh. that the FDA does not have. Uh, temperature requirements for insects. They do mm-hmm. for beef and chicken and everything. Well, the highest is poultry, and that's at 165 degrees, and so we go above that. The problem is that if you go above 180 degrees Fahrenheit, you start denaturing proteins and lipids. Sure. And we don't want to destroy the protein and the fat. Mm-hmm. So uh, we stay below that, and that's how we found 170. Really, there's there's a variety of temperatures, you know, specific temperatures you go to, but really you want to stay in that 170 degree range so that you're going above the level to destroy any possible pathogens to make sure it's a super safe product. Right. And we've had them tested uh, raw, and they're actually good enough to eat. Well, that was going to be my second question was, you know, with, with sushi, you can eat raw fish and right. it's not a big deal, right? With the crickets, <clears throat> is there that same issue with, you know, say chicken or beef, when you eat them, there's that salmon, salmonella, I can't even talk, salmonella, little, <laughs> salmonella, salmonella, that go. risk, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, is that, is there a same risk, uh, for raw crickets? So, you know, with any raw food, there can be that risk. However, do you know how they make sushi safe? They just get it really freaking cold. Oh, I see. And so if you just, like, started cutting up raw fish from the ocean, and my wife would know better because she's the the, uh, nut about all the food pathogen stuff. She knows all that stuff. But um, you could actually get... Uh, you know, pretty well injured uh, yeah. some of the stuff that's in there. Uh, but if you get it cold enough, then suddenly it's safe, right? You can actually destroy that. And so yeah, we, yeah. we do the same thing. We bring these guys down to about five degrees Fahrenheit. Um, and even before that, we've had them tested, uh, you know, just flash frozen uh, so that we, and we don't bring them down below that temperature for long enough. And they're still safe. But, you know, what's great is once you dehydrate them, you just absolutely know that there's nothing. And we we do not want a negative image put onto the industry. The industry no, is too young. Yeah. So we have to make sure that they're safe and that they're nutritious. Plus, it keeps the flavor the best possible. That's that's fascinating. So what? So tell me a little bit about this um, process in which you get new people into the ecosystem. Because it's a different type of business than, say, we just make crickets and sell them. You guys have a different format. Tell me a little bit about that, where you get, you set up other farmers for this setup. Sure. So when we first started the business, you know, we've actually changed our business model quite a bit. Right. And uh, when we first started it, we started as just a farm. We were going to supply whole crickets to companies to dehydrate process, all that stuff. And then we were like, you know what, actually, if we value add this, uh, there's going to be a lot more to it. And then we started getting to the cookies just as a way to talk to customers, and people started stealing the cookies. So we figured, okay, maybe maybe they'll buy them. <laughs> yeah. And so we started selling them. Uh, but at this point, we're kind of going, okay, look, we're, we can do the farming aspect okay, but honestly, there's people that probably can focus on this a lot better than we can. Sure. And we've already developed the technology and methodologies. What we need are more crickets. 
We own all the infrastructure. We own all our own processing facility. Uh, we have all that to keep up with the demand except for the bugs. Mm-hmm. We just don't have enough insects. And so we are bringing on partner farmers all over the country. We're training them. Uh, several of them are veterans, which yes. I think is great because microagriculture has been shown to help with PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, you know, it's just a, a great way. You can make a little bit of money, help the environment, and also help the brand of Cowboy Crickets grow. That's fascinating. So when you're setting up these farms, are you setting them up so that they can source uh, suppliers and distributors for their product? Or is it just you guys take the product on yourself and you just have sort of these ancillary distributors everywhere? So we do our own self-distribution for most things, except for frass, which is the cricket poop. We sell that as a fertilizer, which, you know, I I love that there's a term for chicken poop. Yeah. Or for uh, for cricket poop, that's uh, just frass. Frass. Well, how did they come up with that? Do you know? I have no idea. That is so fascinating. That's one of those scientific names yeah, like, you need a degree to understand. Ch- cricket poop is frass. Not, not, not <laughs> cricket. Yeah, it's not fascinating. fascinating. <laughs> Good call. All right. Sorry. Total total tangent, but, but uh, please proceed. It's... um. <laughs> Uh, just got a, uh, a text that one of our retailers is out, so that's always good. We nice. need to deliver more cookies. Deliver more cookies. That's uh, right. Yeah, so we what we do is we give them a contract, yep. and we say, okay, look, we're going to supply you all the knowledge. Um, you're going to buy the crickets from us because we've put a lot of time and money into developing this certain strain of crickets. Mm-hmm. You're going to buy all the feed from us, but we're going to give it to you pretty much at cost. And we're going to give you as much support as you need. And we're going to guarantee we're going to buy all of your crickets and all of your frass from you. So when you send them the crickets, they're live. Correct. And then and they you ra- start you're raising them. them. Right. We, we raise them, and then we sell them four-week-old crickets. Yeah. Uh, that's just the best shipping age. And then at that point, they start raising and breeding. So they don't have to buy new crickets from us every cycle or anything like that. It's just their starting ones. Yeah. They're going to have to buy more feed, but sure. that feed uh, is a huge value add into either frass or uh, you know or the crickets themselves. Nice. Uh-oh. I think we're getting here. we're getting invaded by uh by Kathy oh, no. who is Jim's partner and we're going to bring in Kathy. Welcome to the show Kathy. You're going to be over there on that mic. Yeah. That's okay. That's all right. We'll we'll get you plugged in. We've been uh being serenaded by uh James here and wow, he, who's wow. been Telling us about the crickets, and we've eaten the cookies, as you can see. We haven't dug into the crickets yet. Ooh. I got the plain That's ones out here. Yeah, we have the the plain ones, but uh, we'll we'll eventually get into those. But um, yeah, he's saying you have to get right under the mic. Right. Yeah, let's <laughs> right onto it. Yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a little um, off putting. You got to gargle it. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, sorry for that train wreck That's of an all. introduction. It's okay. Uh, Kathy Rollin, welcome to the program. We've, we've learned a lot about James. We want to know a little bit about you. Tell us about the uh, military, first of all, the military branch you got into and what you did while you were in. Yeah, so I was in the Coast Guard. I, I was in boot camp a month after I, I graduated high school, and so it was an interesting transition. Yeah. Um, I was originally stationed in Charlevoix, Michigan, which wasn't far from my hometown. And at first, that's what I wanted. But then I went on to A school <laughs> and learned how to become a gunner's mate. Nice. And then they sent me to Long Beach, California. Which isn't a bad place to be. It was terrifying. Really? <laughs> at Why first, is that? At first. I mean, small town of 3,500 people to a, a big city. Yeah. That was the first time I've, I've ever seen a city. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I had a similar experience, I, but I, it was the opposite for me. I came from the Bay Area and went to Great Lakes, Illinois oh, for nice. my boot camp, for Navy boot camp. And so it was just the opposite of like, wait a minute, the world is really this flat? This is insane. <laughs> okay, I have a question about that, though. So when, oh, when yes, I, we do have a question. Yeah. When I was in junior ROTC in high school, yeah. we, we got to visit the Great Lakes Navy yeah, yeah. boot camp. N- Navy station. Yeah. And when Naval we were, resort. Right, yeah. right, yeah. right. Yeah, it seemed like a resort. It is. I was impressed. Yeah. And I, was like, I would do boot camp this, all over again. Okay, so when we were there. Okay, so you're, this is probably a yes. When yeah. we were there, we were served served yeah. donuts. Nope. Yeah, that happens. So what? I'll tell you what? that is so during service week. I told week, you. I told <laughs> I you it was wasn't a, a facade. No. So Ten during service in, week, I thought this was a yeah, joke. <laughs> service week for me, uh, one it's my I'm height challenged. I'll just put it that way. But I was the guide on for our company. And so which mean I was yes. part of the officer officer crew for our boot camp class. Right. And uh, and for our service week, we had to go watch a hangar, stand watch at a hangar. And uh, and we were getting every night. We were getting deliveries, uh, takeout deliveries. So we were getting Chinese food one oh, night, we pizza the next night. Yeah, Italian. Like it was just. That's why I would do it over again. There's benefits to being height challenged uh, in the military. I'll just tell you that right now. That was not Coast Guard. No. Yeah, that was not Coast Guard boot camp. No. 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 To, it was challenging, huh? We didn't get donuts. No yeah, donuts. There, there's so no sorry. donuts. No, we had to throw life rings. That's kind of close. Well, there you go. That's yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. that taste is good, but they do make you not die. So. <laughs> very, very sort of the opposite. But yeah, yeah I get it. So. I, I mean, I was jealous when I did go to boot camp. I kind of had this notion like I would get donuts at least at boot camp. Like, something but, but here's the trade off. You were a gunner's mate, which meant you made things go boom. I did, and it was a lot of so fun. So much fun, right? Yes. I was. <clears throat> part of a, a boarding crew, and so I got guns, and we got to shoot guns, I, which I was did. a lot of fun. Yep. Right, but uh, but yeah, you got to let. That was your job. My job was navigation. I was a quartermaster. Mm-hmm. Less sexy, but uh, but when I did get to you know make things go boom, it was a absolute thrill. Yeah, it was. There was some fun training. Um, when I was in Long Beach, we did training with simunitions, which you use your weapon, change yeah. out the barrel, and use basically soap bullets. Um, they hurt. I have a yeah. scar. They're amazing. It is, it's like paintball soap on... bullets. Yeah, it's like yeah, paintball goodness. on... You shoot your friends in the face. <laughs> but it was one, not those little, uh, like, bath tabs, right? No, no. no. So like, it's like a casing. Shut up. But with, like, a soap pellet at the end. And Come so you, you hear the bang. Yeah. You see the flash. You it get hit and it, it hurts. Doesn't melt on the way over, like no, no. they're not super accurate. They're good for like twenty feet. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. it. Huh? It's hilarious when they get the full <laughs> auto ones going because there's just like behind you, it'll just be this giant mural. It's like oh, but does Warhol it smell painting. good though? No, 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 because of the, the gunpowder. Gun so yeah, like yeah, yeah gun so yeah, it was fun training though. I bet that's probably the one thing I do miss. So Coast Guard gunners, mate, you uh, you get out. What's the next thing? Ooh. Train wreck. You didn't tell him about the train we wreck did. time. We talked a little bit okay, about the train yes. wreck, yeah, but we, I would love to hear your version of the train wreck. That was me um, having this notion that I needed to get back in Michigan. Obviously, yeah. I'm not in Michigan anymore. Yeah. Um, nothing against Michigan, by the way. I so have Michigan listeners. Michigan. Um, we have uh, all three of our <laughs> listeners out of Michigan. I'm sure will oh. understand you completely. Yes. Um, and so <laughs> I wanted to get back to my hometown, back to my family. We had some recent deaths. Um, my father died. Two years later, my, my brother died. Oh, wow. And so it's kind of wanting to get back to, sure. to family. So we, we decided to buy a family fun sen- center, which was seasonal. Mistake number one, mm-hmm. seasonal. Um, Detroit went bankrupt a couple years later, and we lost two houses and the business. That's just fascinating. And we went bankrupt. That's Yay. Crazy. 
But you know, I asked James this, but I want to hear you. What did you learn out of that failure? What did what was the thing that you take away that you now uh, understand more about the business you're in now? I mean, we were at the very bottom and, and survived. So yeah, we we survived that. We, we've survived some family deaths. We can survive anything. So it, it definitely. It deterred me from entrepreneurship, from wanting to do a business maybe for about a year, and then I was itching to get back to it. Yeah. We just needed the right business. So do you think the failure empowered you more because you you already knew this is the bottom. I can't do any worse. Absolutely. I could maybe duplicate the failure, but I can't do any worse. Right. And if I was able to make it through it, then we're going to go through it again. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we we had a great support system through... Through my husband, his his family, his mother and his his uh, stepfather were, were there. They they helped provide us with food, and that food usually went mostly um, to our kids. Um, we didn't eat very much during that time. We ate a lot of bread, yeah. a lot of mac and cheese. Yeah. Um, our kids still hate mac and cheese. Really? Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's man. that's not that's a, a meal that we can cook. <laughs> <laughs> That's fascinating. Not even mix it up. Put a little prosciutto in oh, there. No. Maybe they, some no. crickets. No. No. Nothing, huh? No. It's wow. yeah. They they know if it's they they can like smell cheap food. <laughs> This doesn't smell right. <laughs> That's fascinating. I love that. Now they, they, when they grow up, they'll be like, no, sorry, no, I need the good stuff. Yes. Because I spent my childhood eating mac and cheese. No, this is not going to work. There's no truffle in this shit. Like, right, <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. No, I get that. That's funny. So, uh, so Cowboy Crickets, what was the epiphany you had about this that said, this is where the next step, this is where we're going to go? So, yeah, that was my crazy idea, which I absolutely love. Um, I was a student at Montana State University, and I was learning about alternative sources of protein. Um, I was going for dietetics. Mm -hmm. Um, I've I've had this passion for nutrition ever since I was 11 when my mom was diagnosed with diabetes. And that just was kind of the the beginning of change for me was seeing where I wanted to go in life. And... um, and so I learned about alternative sources of protein, and we had a guest speaker that came in that was director of Bugs on the Menu, a Canadian film, and it was it was just fascinating. People were eating bugs, and so I went to the annual bug buffet at MSU, and people, it, the room was shoulder to shoulder with people trying to eat bugs, and I'm like, they're excited <laughs> about this. I was, was hesitant. Was it a small room? Um, <laughs> a little bit. I mean, yeah. Now, now we're in a full ballroom, yeah. and so we've grown. Oh we've goodness. grown it quite a bit, which is, which is exciting. We've Come seen on. that that growth. Yeah. We've helped that growth. Yeah, and and that's really exciting. So so I went home and I said I, and I told James I said I start a cricket farm. And he's like, for what? <laughs> for people to eat. And he just kind of gave me this crazy look. I'm yeah. like, Ooh, this is going to be a tough tough sale. But I knew if I could sell it to him. I could sell it to anybody, and I'm <laughs> not that bad. Oh, I'm just a good salesperson. Yeah, no, and so speaks volumes to her ability to sell to <laughs> it you. It does. It does. Well, <laughs> I said no. Seriously, look into it. Look yeah. into the financials. Google this stuff. It, it's a thing. And he thought he would be able to tell me no within a, a couple days, a couple yeah. hours. Six months later, he couldn't find the no, and so we went for it. That's awesome. I love it. I love that story. It's uh, you guys definitely found this thing. We were we were talking before you walked in about this, this the way you guys have set up these other farms and mm-hmm. train them and come up with a system, a playbook, to kind of hand off to new folks and sort of keep your distribution channels going. How did that come about? Like, what was the what was the sort of idea around wanting to? Because I'll tell you, I watched a, a documentary, and this is going to be wildly relevant to what you guys are doing. 
Have you guys ever heard of Purdue Chicken? Yes. Yeah. Right. So the story for those that don't that don't know, Purdue Chicken was basically the foster farms and everybody came to learn from Purdue Chicken because they had done this channel in which they owned from the feed to the egg to the chicken to the delivery system, the entire supply chain of chickens. And they did it really well. They were the first sort of success story, American success story out of the Midwest of, of how to do chicken right. And every time you guys are telling me this story, that's where I think you guys are headed. Am I wrong? Like, that, Are you guys sort of going for that entire supply chain and owning the entire supply chain? Yes. Um, and more importantly, we want to grow the industry. Yeah. And so that's why we're so open to talk to, to people and help farmers start and help grow our network and, and teach other people. We want to grow this industry. And we do that by getting people passionate about it, get people going back to the communities and talking about it. Mm -hmm. have, have you guys identified people that are in these sort of, they're farmers, but then maybe they're a farmer for an industry that may be dying out and they're looking for that next thing, that next iteration. Have you guys started to reach out to those? And if so, like how do you reach those farmers? Sure. So we have people from all types of backgrounds, including agriculture, reach out to us. And one of the ones I think is the most amusing but also impressive is we have a lot of cattle ranchers reach out to us and wow. uh, we haven't officially brought any of them on farmer on as farmers yet sure. but uh, we do have chicken farmers that are coming on and they see that this is something there's no seasonality to it it's easy to maintain it's there's a lot of money in it right now mm -hmm. and it's a growing industry so they want to get into it I, I just think that that's you know awesome that they're actually willing to look at these alternatives and take us serious and you know they come and take the class that you know, they have to pay, they have to fly out there and everything, and they, they'll take this How to Farm Crickets class to become one of our farmers. Uh, we also have people in the marijuana industry that get into it a lot. Um, you know, Kathy and I, being in the Coast Guard, we did anti-narcotics. And so, you know, we went from uh, from busting drug runners to selling them cricket shit, and I think that's awesome uh, that, you know, we've we kind of come full circle. If You've you given them the frass for the grass. Exactly. exactly. It's amazing. It smells so much different when it's grown with love than uh, than when, when it's taken off the middle of the Pacific. Yeah. No, I, I would imagine the smell is much different. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there are two outputs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. Well, we're talking to, to James and Kathy from Cowboy Cricket Farms. We're going to pay a quick bill. Is that cool? Yeah, absolutely. Right. So we're going to talk about CPA dudes where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay, which is remarkable because I have a CPA and she charges me just to like make a phone call, which is ridiculous. But anyway, they don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. Find them at cpadudes.com slash startup radio. Tell them Josh and Carmen sent you. We are here with James and Kathy of Cowboy Cricket Farms. I want to learn a little bit about, you guys did something that most startups really don't think about, and that's how to fund your startup in a different way. And you guys did something called an interstate public offering. Did I get that right? Correct. Now, tell me a bit of the mechanics of how that works and why that's different between from an, an ICO or an IPO. So, yeah, we're not selling coin. Yeah. Uh, so there's there's no crypto. This is a regular security transaction. The difference is most people, when they hear IPO, they think initial public offering. Right. You're going on to like the NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, yeah, I'm not paying their filing fees, and we are nowhere big enough to do that sure. anyways. So the SEC has two different kinds of exemptions, one of which is uh, to do a federal, uh, they call it a mini-IPO a lot of times, or crowdfunding re uh, regulations. 
And so under the uh, A-plus regulations, you can raise funds all over the nation. There's still a lot of paperwork. Most states, though, can uh, also do a intrastate public offering instead of interstate. And so our offering is only within the state of Montana, which means we didn't have to register with the SEC. Uh, we can only... Uh, take investment from Montana residents, and there's some other laws that are specific to the state, and different states have their own laws. You know, go see what your securities uh, commissioner says about all that jazz. But uh, basically, you know, non-accredited investors can invest up to $10,000 a year into our business for actual equity. So these aren't gifts. They're not getting, like, you know, buy, pre-selling anything. It's not like Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. They, they actually own part of the company, just like if you went and bought AT&T or Coca-Cola stock. So they walk away with shares of Cowboy Cricket Farms. Exactly. Correct. And does that? How does that come into a form? Is it a form of a node? Is it a like what kind of? What's that mechanism for them? So we uh, digitally record it just on ourselves. We we self broker it because uh, I am very cheap and do not want to pay a brokerage <laughs> firm eight to seventeen percent. Sure. To uh, you know write on a piece of paper for me. You're just keeping that supply chain right in house. Exactly. Even more. Exactly. And so uh, they can go right on our website, CowboyCrickets.com, and literally buy shares there. Then we just make sure that you know everything's good before sure. we actually take the money. Um, but once we know that they are uh, eligible for the security, then uh, we issue out a stock certificate, and that's about it. That's fascinating. So you actually do the vetting to make sure there are residents of Montana. You're doing Correct. all the legwork. Does that have any impact on your guys running the day-to-day business, or is it just something that you're able to sort of roll into your to your day-to-day function. The state of Montana makes it really easy sure. for us. Um, basically, you know, Montana is known for having pretty easy get-along-with rules and laws. And so all we th- that we have to do is make a uh, reasonable assertion of it. And so if they give us a copy of a state ID, you know, bam, right? You, you have to be a Montana resident to have yeah. a Montana driver's license. Sure, sure. It's if they somehow like made a fake ID or something, first off, that is commitment, okay, for buying our <laughs> shares. Secondly, um, that is illegal. Well, I'll be honest. But, I've been trying to figure out how I can make a Montana ID ever since you said it, so. I know. It's, it's kind of sad. Sometimes we find out somebody that bought shares online yeah. that they can't. And yeah. so we had um, one individual from Ireland Come on. that wanted to invest in us, and yeah. we're just like, I'm sorry, I can't take your money. Okay, is there another the mechanism country? in which they can go outside of this interstate? There yes. is, but they have to be an accredited investor. Got it. And so that's a different exemption. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they could do it under under this initial or the interstate public offering. They could and they could go above the 10000 or they can come in under a different SEC exemption. And uh, But again, they have to be able to prove that they're an accredited investor. Sure. Yeah. God, that's fascinating. So how much are you trying to raise? Our our raise right now is seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. Where are you at with it? Uh, we've got about thirty five thousand, forty thousand dollars somewhere in there. I'd, I'd have to see where we're at. But right you guys now, just kicked this off not not too long ago. I remember like seeing six weeks, seven weeks. Yeah, ago. yeah, and it was yeah. it was really cool when uh, when we contacted um, the department for that for that exemption. They were really excited that <laughs> businesses a business is taking advantage yeah. of this. A business is doing this. Oh, I was going to say, because I don't know anybody else in our community of Patriot Bootcamp, we've had 750 companies come through, that have done this. Yeah. And so it's fascinating to see somebody take advantage of this and make a run at it. It's great. I love it. It, it was great. We got some great press from it. Um, yeah. I mean, the commissioner actually came out to us and uh, brought out a news crew and, and then went and toured the whole state telling people about us. They bought cookies and handed out cookies all over the state of Montana. So... Um, you know, it, it was really quite a good experience, and 
did a lot of the legwork for me, you know, so I, I didn't have to really go out and tell anyone about it. Um, yeah. Plus, most importantly, like you said, many people don't know this exists. Mm-hmm. So if you don't know, it sounds like a scam. Right. Right. No, absolutely. Right. And that's the whole reason why you have to go through with this. And the other thing is a lot of people don't know that you have to do that this way. You, yeah. Uh, you can't just go on a forum and be like, hey, I've got a startup who here wants to help fund my company. Yeah. No. That's called securities fraud. Yeah. And you can go to jail. And but every state has something bad. like this, right? Every all 50 Some states? Forms. Not all, no. Oh, so okay. you could do the federal exemption in any yep. state. But uh, there's, I want to say it's like 30 states or so that have so an exemption. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And some are as simple as Montana's, which is about the most simple. And some you have to use a specific website and do specific things. It's, it's like really, really restrictive. Yeah. yeah, I wish there was something almost... Um, for for veterans, some kind of exemption because vets like to help vets. Absolutely. And so on Facebook, I'm part of a couple groups, but one's um, Vetrepreneur. And I don't know how many times I've seen a post, hey guys, you know, I'm starting this. Um, I'm, I want to sell stock. This is how much it is. If you're interested, let me know. And I'm the, the keyboard warrior going, no, you, you can't do that. Um, <laughs> d- did you check with your state? Yeah. That's actually illegal just to take money yeah. from people. And so they're like, oh my God, thank you for telling me. But if we had something more veteran-specific that we could raise money from from our community, that would be fantastic. Absolutely. You, so total, we'll talk about this offline, but yeah, the, the folks from the SBA and the VA will be at Patriot Boot Camp in Denver. You guys need to show up. Anyway. Absolutely. Talk to your senator, yeah, folks. Yeah, and talk to your senator <laughs> as well. So, uh, so this is amazing. I love it. I, the cookie was incredible, and I'm sure I'm going to eat some sort of bug today. But um, tell me, what's the next thing? For Cowboy Crickets, where are you guys? Where do you guys see this going in the next 12, 14, 18, two years down the road? Well, you know, I think short term, we're really excited about maybe taking a paycheck next year. Nice and uh, congratulations, yeah, by the way. I think you that see would be, the, the light at the end of the tunnel. That's fascinating. Yeah, yeah it's great. Yeah, it looks we're about like there. a laser pinpoint right yeah. now, but it, it's you're showing gonna, up. You guys gonna go celebrate by yourselves a couple PBRs? No. No? Is Probably that too expensive? Like put, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's too much. No, I'll go broke You again. split one. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I'm not yeah, saying we, like, we you might, have to get one each. I think we might split an iced tea or a water, <laughs> and, uh, and that'll go pretty well, you yeah. know. <laughs> so I, I, you don't know how many entrepreneurs I've talked to that are just so excited when they can pay themselves. Yeah. Yes. So it's good on you. Well, well that, that's the ultimate dr- dream is, yeah. is to not only um, make change in the world, in, in our case, but... Like to also make it. a living yeah. Um, so that we can continue doing that, continue growing the company um, while supporting our family. Yeah. And, you know, right now, go, going forward, and I guess on a little bit more serious note, uh, we, although, you know, I really do want to get paid, is um, we are right now about the third largest uh, cricket farm in the country. Well, in the uh, continent, actually. The largest would be Entomo in uh, Canada. The largest in the U.S. would be uh, Aspire down in Texas. And then... When you add in our network, we're easily in third place. But by the end of this year, middle of next year at the latest, we're going to be probably in second place. And our goal is to take o- you know, take over that first place spot within the next two years. And how Coming much, after you, Canada. Yeah. How, how much, as far as output, does, does that account for? Like how, how much cricket frass and cricket pound, you know, overall gets you to third place? So... 
You know, th that's kind of a complicated question, and it seems pretty simple. The problem is that the industry is very quiet. Mm. And so we don't know exactly what their outputs are, but we do know the size of their facility, so oh, okay. we can make certain assertions. And we know that Canada has a facility of about 60,000 square feet. Mm. Texas has a facility of about 25,000 square feet. And right now we're pushing that 10,000 square foot range between our different farmers wow. and, and our farm. And so we're... But we're growing so rapidly that we're pretty sure we're going to have about thirty to 40,000 square feet by this time next year. That's, that's um, and then if we continue that, we'll, we'll push past 100,000 square feet within the next two or three years. I love it. But what's great by doing that, by, by doing our network, is we're creating jobs. Yeah. Um, no, absolutely. Yeah, we, ha we have an immense amount of interest. We've had people fly in from Canada, Mexico, specifically to visit us in Bozeman, to learn from us, to take the class. And then they fly out. Um, and... We've never had anybody that didn't like the class, that thought it was a waste of time. Everybody loves it. They, they leave with a lot. Do you have anybody that come to the class and then try to go out and do it themselves and fail miserably? Probably, yeah. right? M most people that come to the class, they're doing it uh, to vet us oh, as see. well as allow us to vet them and see if they want to be um, part of our network. Mm -hmm. With that said, I'm sure that there are a couple of them that will say, you know what, either I don't want to do this, which is fine. I think that's still a good 250 bucks spent because it's sure. way better than spending $50,000 figure out you don't want to oh, do it. Oh, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and then there's probably going to be some people who are going to say, you know what, I could do this on my own. And hey, friendly competition is always good. You know, uh, it might just be less friendly one day. And so, uh, you know, be prepared that we have contracts in place and we have uh, the facilities in place. We have all the overhead and we have all the research and we own all the IP for all that. That's awesome. And so I we've been it. very aggressive in securing this information mm -hmm. so that, you know, we give away a lot of information because I want to see the industry succeed. But uh, that doesn't mean that we have all our secrets out there. Sure. No, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, where, where can people find you online? Cowboycrickets.com, yeah. at Cowboy Crickets, uh, on all your social medias. Uh, where else? I, I mean, I guess that's all of online, isn't uh, it? Right? YouTube. Fa Facebook and YouTube is all of the internet right now. It is. That I can much. mention. Yeah, it's the internet is really, I think, how they put it. The intro webs. Yeah, yeah. yeah their they're social media binary is what I think is there the proper go. PC term now. <laughs> nice. <laughs> all right, we've been listening to uh, James and Kathy from Cowboy Crickets. I'm sure I'm going to get one of these uh, crickets here in a moment. But uh, thank you guys for joining and being on the show. Really appreciate it. Oh, my goodness. He just ate one. I'm, I'm waiting for you to eat one, Josh. All right. Uh, before I sign off, yeah. I'll, I'll get, I'll get one of these. Does one not have a head? Oh, oh they no, all they have all heads. have heads. They yeah. all have heads? That's, a, that's the tastiest part. That's the tastiest really? part. passage. There you go. Oh. All right. Sometimes the antennas oh, get stuck in your you could hear that crunch. Mm. Oh, man. It's that like a, is... It's like a sunflower seed. It really... No, you're yeah. right. It is like eating sunflower seeds. That's really good. And I'm going to put Thanks. this out there. Our crickets taste the best, and that's because of the, the food that we feed them. Yeah. Um, we're the only farm, besides our network, obviously, that is corn and soy-free. Wow. I was not expecting that. I'll be honest. You're welcome. And I'm, I'm one of those guys that's so averse to things looking up at me as I eat them, so... Uh, <laughs> But thank you very much for coming. I, I really appreciate it. Guys, you've been listening to the Startup Radio Network, the network that brings inspiration and education to startups and entrepreneurs around the globe. Tune in again next week. Maybe I'll eat a cricket again. And every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific time, listen, learn, and get shit done. See you guys next week. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.